You know, I watched with some interest, as some of you did, the Field of Dreams baseball game on Thursday night out there in Iowa, right? That game that was to commemorate the film that was, uh, what, 30 years ago? With, who was that? I, I can't remember. Who, who was the actor? Um, help me out. Oh, Kevin Costner. That's right, yeah. It was fascinating to watch. Um, Field of Dreams, a movie that the mighty Yankees take on the White Sox out in a field in Iowa. And it was done well in Hollywood style, right? Kevin Costner's walking out on the field and all the players have walked through the corn. The players, the, one of the players uh, from the White Sox who had mysteriously wandered through the cornfield onto this uh, newly groomed baseball diamond, he looks at the character of Kevin Costner, the farmer, and he says, hey, is this heaven? And you know the answer. He he says, no, no, this is Iowa. This is Iowa. Well, on Thursday night, Kevin Costner, he's out there on the the field, and the fans are there, and they're out in a place very close to where they filmed the movie, and and he says to the, the fans, he says, is this heaven? Unfortunately, fans, they need to be more prepared. They weren't ready to answer. They, they don't, they kind of grumble. I don't know what they did. And he goes, I didn't hear you. Is this heaven? And then there's cheering. Yay! You know, I'm not sure what they said. Maybe they said Iowa. They said, wow, yay, start the game. Is this heaven? Is this heaven? We all have dreams of heaven, right? What heaven might be like. And we dream someday heaven on earth, better days to come. We've all been dreaming about the day when this pandemic will be over, when it doesn't just take over our, our thoughts, dominates our lives, our, our headlines, our social lives, our church life. We watch with sadness as extremists take over in a land that we've worked so hard and so many lives were put to the test, and now it seems like it's all folding in in Afghanistan. Our hands go up, Lord, when will heaven come to earth? As a people of faith, we believe God is going to set things right. We trust that, we hope that, when, when justice will roll down like a river, and there'll be no more tears, no one will go hunger, no more suffering. And the tyrants will be restrained and their despotic governments will be shut down and they'll be brought to justice. But right now we cry out, God, when will there be peace on earth? When the prayer that we've been taught to pray will come true, your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When will that become a reality? We can dream. We dream about that day. In Jesus' day, there were also those who dreamt about that day. The cry for justice, the hope for God's kingdom to be present here and now. They had similar prayers, eagerly awaited God's justice, God's presence, to restore God's people. At one point, there seemed to be a growing anticipation for this to happen, that the wait was finally over. You see, those who wrote about Jesus' life and ministry, they record how Jesus would talk and teach. And when he was speaking publicly, he often would say, here's God's kingdom is coming. It's here. It's approaching. Prepare. 
It's almost here. It's coming soon. There was even a point that he declares that salvation has come to this house. It was Zacchaeus, the tax collector. When the people hear this, in their minds, God's kingdom clock moves from 6 p.m., races to 12 midnight. Any minute now, God's kingdom is coming. The crowd grows eager, begins to expect God's kingdom to be, to, just to be established any minute. The wait is over. Let's get to it, Jesus. You keep talking about it. And if you can affirm salvation has come to the house of this tax collector, what about the rest of us? The momentum really begins to pick up as they make their way to Passover from Jericho up to Jerusalem. By the way, you might have received an email that you'll be able to walk that or drive that very same road with me in May in 2022. We're going to, to Israel. You can sign up for that and to see this scene and to see the hillsides. Well, they're making their way up to Passover. And like most, th most things, Passover had become a politically charged event. It was a time where they, they remembered God saving them, a political liberation from Egypt, recalling how Moses led his people out through the Red Sea, let my people go. Not just a time of remembrance, but it's also a time of looking forward to when God would, would establish his kingdom, that God would rule his people, the coming of the Messiah. And finally, and finally, they'd be rid of the Romans. So as they approach Jerusalem with Jesus, the expectations are growing. Could this be the moment? Could this be the time when the people are liberated? Jesus, it's your time to shine. You've been talking about it. Let's have at it. Rule God's people like the time of David. Jesus can read the crowd. He knows what's going on, how they've grown impatient. So he tells this strange parable about a ruler, ten servants, and ten bags of cash. Out of chapter 19 in Luke. While he had their attention, it says, and because they were getting close to Jerusalem by this time, and expectations was building that God's kingdom would appear at any minute. He told this story. There was once a man descended from a royal house who needed to make a long trip back to headquarters to get authorization for his rule and then return. But first he called ten servants together. He gave them each a sum of money and instructed them, operate with this until I return. But the citizens there hated him, so they sent a commission with a signed petition to oppose his rule. We do not want this man to rule over us. When he came back bringing the authorization of his rule, he called those ten servants whom he had given the money to find out how they had done. The first said, Master, I doubled your money. He said, Good. Good servant, great work, because you've been trustworthy in this small job I'm making you governor of ten towns. 
The second said, Master, I made 50% profit on your money. He said, I'm putting you in charge of five towns. The next servant said, Master, there, here's your money, safe and sound. I kept it hidden in a cellar. To tell you the truth, I was a little afraid. I know you have high standards and hate sloppiness, so, and you don't suffer fools gladly. He said, you're right. I don't suffer fools gladly, and you've acted the fool. Why didn't you at least invest the money in security so I would have gotten a little interest on it? Then he said to those standing there, take the money from him and give it to the servant who had double my stake. They said, but master, he already has double. He said, that's what I mean. Risk your life and get more than you ever dreamed of. Play it safe and end up holding the bag. As for these enemies of mine who petition against my rule, clear them out of here. I don't want to see their faces around here again. Hey, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This parable has two storylines. First one's about a nobleman who goes away, right, to receive the title of king. However, like most royal stories I know, it gets messy, the nobleman was hated by some of the citizens. They sent a delegation to denounce the nobleman in front of the emperor. It doesn't work. He returns, newly crowned king. And to those citizens, he has removed. In some translations, it says a little more severely, something like, off with their heads. The story is complete in itself. That's why some wonder, why did, is this considered a parable? Because those hearing this for the very first time, they would have known that it was reminding them of their contemporary Palestinian history. You see, not too far past in the distance, they would have remembered how Herod the Great's son went to Rome and attempted to be the successor of his father. Quickly and secretly, a Jewish delegation of emissaries is sent to Rome to denounce this man, and they did not want him to be king over them. And it worked. They didn't make him king. But as a consolation, they made him a governor. How mad do you think he was when he got back? Something like off with your heads. The other storyline is a nobleman going away while he entrusts 10 servants with 10 pounds of cash. Each pound was, a, was about three months of wages. Was the, the idea was that they were to put that resources to work. Operate on this while I'm away. Implication is this is what you are to live on and this is what you are to enjoy and invest it. Invest it while the nobleman was away. Now here's the thing. In ancient times, when there was political instability, the last thing you would do is make risky investments. You're not sure who's going to be the ruler, what's going to happen in the country you're in. You know what happened during the American Civil War? When Lincoln's army lost a battle, investors withdrew 
huge amounts of money from the market. Investing 101, when things get unstable, the smart money watches from the sidelines, takes a safe place and waits out the uncertainty. Makes sense. And that's exactly what the third servant does. In the parable, he takes a much more conservative approach. He stuffs his towel in the mattress out of sight. But when the newly crowned king comes back, who turns and settles accounts, it's the ones who took the risk that are rewarded and commended. The one who dug a hole and put his talent in the ground is reprimanded. Two storylines, two lessons for the church. First lesson, Jesus makes his way up to Jerusalem with the crowds. They wanted to be the king but he's not going up to be crowned king in a political sense. He's going away. And Luke is reminding his congregation that Jesus has promised to return. And in the meantime, they are to invest the talents that they have been given into God's kingdom. Do what God is doing, seeking to establish here on earth what is modeled and reflected in and through the life of Jesus. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, from the first announcement in Nazareth, Nazareth, Jesus says, listen, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to what? To the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom of, of those who are imprisoned. Recover the sight of the blind, release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." Every gracious encounter of Jesus he has with sinners, with tax collectors, the challenge of love to the Pharisees, the care for the poor, the rich, the mental illness, those with physical illness, outsiders, outcasts, wounded, broken, humble, the proud, the male, the female, the slave, the free, all reveals God's kingdom, all reveals God's grace and love. And to reject Jesus, and to reject Jesus' claim of king, is to reject God's grace. You see, in God's kingdom, all people matter to God. To reject Christ's rules, to reject God's mercy. Second lesson. The church has been entrusted with valuable talents to be faithfully invested while the king is away. The first two servants take the risk and invest their talents faithfully, trusting in the word of the nobleman, I'm coming back. Don't fear. They just demonstrated their faithfulness, their loyalty. Even through the thick and the thin, through the uncertainty, their hope rested that the nobleman would be back. And so they invested. Risk investments. Dear friends, God provides good gifts for us. He's given us each talent. He's given this church talent and gifts to be shared, opportunities. And that's how the first two servants understand God as a generous God, as a gracious God, the one who bestows upon them, gives them responsibility and opportunity. This third servant misunderstands God, misunderstands this nobleman. And when he finds out how the other two 
servants are treated, he, he has to now come up with a defense. What does he do? Does he take responsibility? No. He blames the ruler. I knew you were a bad guy. Some translations talk about, now, you misinterpreted me. You say that's the way I am? Well, that's how you're going to be treated. That's not how he is. Why does this guy look at the glass half full? He got empty and he got worried and anxious. He blames the ruler. I was reading about blame not long ago. It's really interesting how our perspective changes. We start blaming. How our perspective changes on our sense of self and the things we have found joy in or things that we we regarded as, as blessings, they become mutated into other things like judgment, anger, self-centeredness, and anxiety. And likewise, dear friends, if we imagine God as this harsh ruler, demanding and critical, my guess is that's how we'll start treating others. It seems that's what's going on with the third servant. He makes assumptions about the ruler that's not true. Ends up burying his faith, hiding his hope, and shoveling dirt over his love. The other servants don't see it that way. They see a generous ruler. One who with grace invests and trusts his people with a great deal of responsibility. Providing opportunity for them to flourish. Jesus is reminding the disciples, he's reminding the church that while he's away, they're charged not with keeping safe what they've been entrusted with. (laughs) They're to invest it. So it will multiply. For Luke's congregation, as Luke is recording this, for his congregation and for our congregation, it means we're to called to share the healing mercy of God. In order for things to multiply, in this parable, it indicates it takes risk. Risks are involved. No one makes 10 pounds out of one or five pounds out of one without some risk. It doesn't work. And that's what Jesus is teaching the church. What we have been invested with, what God has invested in our lives, we're called to risk. We're called to share. As a congregation, we take faithful risk. Who builds a preschool during a pandemic? We do. Who sends money to missionaries in Syria and Lebanon? A war-torn place, a place of corruption, a place of hurt and and suffering. Who sends money? You do. Who gets on their knees and prays for people who are suffering with cancer? When all signs point the other direction, we do. Who sits down and writes letters to our men and women and serving throughout the world in the military? We do. Who wakes up in the middle of the night and prays for you? I do. 
We take risks. Love is a risk. Forgiveness is a risk. Telling someone about your faith and how God is working in and through your life is a risk. Dear friends, imagine your week ahead where God is leading you, the relationships that you have been blessed with, the demands on your life, the uncertainties. Imagine that God has handed you all this talent and says, I want you to multiply this. I want you to invest it in other people. I want you to invest in ways that are going to multiply. Maybe it's inviting others to your life group. Offering to pray for someone. Offering to tell someone about your faith. Taking time to pray and believe the prayer that we were taught to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, Amen.